and welcome to Sacred Stories, a podcast by the Office for Christian Leadership, Vocation, and Retreats in Campus Ministry at the University of Dayton. Sacred Stories is hosted by Reverend Dustin Pickett, Elizabeth Montgomery, Megan Crowley, Rachel Bell, and myself, Mike Bennett. Join us every other week as a member of the UD community shares how their story intersects with a reading from a sacred text and encourages us to explore that same intersection in our own life. Kelly Johnson. I teach in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Dayton, and um, I'm the father for a chair of social justice. And uh, I get to tell you stories today, kind of stories inside stories. Now, um, I'm a Southern Catholic woman and a writer, so it's maybe not surprising that I feel a kind of connection to Flannery O'Connor, who was a really extraordinary um, Catholic woman writer from Georgia. But I also wanna tell you about another really extraordinary Southern writer, Pulitzer Prize winning Southern writer, in fact, Alice Walker, who helps me to recognize something about my relationship um, to O'Connor. So let's start with this um, O'Connor story. It's called The Circle in the Fire. It's a story of uh, Mrs. Copes and her farm and her woods. Now, Mrs. Copes is a woman trying to manage a farm, trying, (laughs) trying to manage it. She's trying to control everything about it. Like we see her, you know, um, tearing up weeds out of the grass and micromanaging her slow moving workers and also giving thanks to God who she believes gave this beautiful farm to her. Now, unexpectedly, three boys arrive on the farm with suitcases in hand. One of them is the son of a former employee. And we don't know, the story doesn't tell us if Mrs. Copes fired him or if he was injured or if he just left or what. The boy says that his family moved to Atlanta to a housing project, that his father has died, his mother has remarried. Then there's a little awkwardness so what's supposed to happen now? Mrs. Copes falls back on, on um, being polite. She realizes she should offer them some food. So she does. She offers them a very little food. And the boys are not grateful. And it begins to dawn on her. Right? Suitcases. They've come to camp on the farm. This, this boy, Powell, he remembers her place as a paradise. And he's brought his friends along. So she tries to to manage them. She lays down rules for them, but they're boys. They just do what they want. They ride the horses. They let the bull loose. They let the oil out of the tractor. And then they sit across the road and throw rocks at her mailbox. She could call the police, but you know, the boys would just hide until the police went away. So the reality is she can't control them. It, It is as though her farm isn't hers at all. So when I was a child, I was very uncomfortable about inequality. And I, you know, I don't think that's unusual. Um, Any child can see it. By what right do I walk by somebody in need 
when I have not just the things I need, but also, you know, things I kind of like, um, things that make me feel a little more secure, things that I have just because other people like me have them, even though I don't particularly want them. You know, my parents took their faith very seriously. And so I couldn't figure out how to square with this reality of inequality with things like scriptural passages saying, you know, give to all who ask of you or consider the lilies or go sell all you have and give to the poor, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But then, you know, Christians all around me seem to accept it as normal, maybe, maybe kind of sad, but um, a normal state of affairs. So what was I supposed to do with this? I think as a child, I was maybe just barely aware that that question had something to do with why I knew so few black people. You know, I didn't realize until I was in my twenties that 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 pretty bridge downtown that I liked to walk over had been the site of a famous lynching case or that the Trail of Tears actually started just a couple of miles away from my childhood home. I thought race was over. I mean, it was right there in front of me, but I, like the people around me, looked away. Everything is fine. So Mrs. Copes tries to pretend that everything is fine, but you know, it's clearly not. And the problem she has isn't just the resentful workers or the little boys in their mischievous vandalism. The problem she has is with the sky. So O'Connor writes um, about the sky above Mrs. Copes and she says it's, you know, it's livid or it's glaring or it burns. It's the sky is a threat in the story. Mrs. Copes is not at home in creation and she is not at ease with God. Mm -hmm. But I mean, <laughs> she has to be in charge at all times, right? She's the one who manages, she's the one who copes. So any, anything that's not under her control or not serving her is a threat. And that means God is a problem. Uh, the woods on her property are um, another problem. They're, they're part of the property, but they are old and dense and too wild to be kept under control. She lives in fear that they are gonna catch fire. Well, I hate to spoil the ending of a story. Um, you should go read it. There's lots more in the story that I'm not telling you here, but, but this is what happens. The boys moved, I think, by um, realizing that this place can never be theirs, you know, that they can't stay. They decide, decide to start a fire in the woods. And as Mrs. Copes sees this happening and um, she screams to her unenthusiastic workers to hurry up, to get out there, to get the fire out. O'Connor writes that um, she, quote, could just catch in the distance a few wild high shrieks of joy as if the prophets were dancing in a fiery furnace in the circle the angel had cleared for them. That's the last line of the story. And it's a reference to um, a story in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, where the faithful Israelites who dared to refuse idolatry are thrown into a fiery furnace, but an angel clears a circle for them in the fire. 
So this is classic O'Connor. It is, um, it's the little boys who are the prophets, the witnesses sent by God to interrupt idolatry. And this kind of torment they bring down on Mrs. Copes is grace trying to break through to her. Now, O'Connor, like me, um, grew up in white Southern privilege. At, she had her sorrows. Uh, her father died young and she was diagnosed with the same disease that killed him. Um, it caused her pain and illness and she died before she was 40. And because of that illness, she had to live um, at home with her mother on this farm that they called Andalusia in Georgia where O'Connor raised famously peacocks. So in the 1970s, Alice Walker, as I said, another great Southern writer, wrote an essay called Beyond the Peacock about a visit that she and her mother made to Flannery O'Connor's house. Walker called O'Connor's writing dazzling. She'd been a fan of O'Connor's writing for a long time. But Walker also knew that um, as critical, scathingly critical as O'Connor was of Southern hypocrisy or of any hypocrisy, um, she continued to write in her correspondence um, in really demeaning ways about African-Americans as a group and as individuals. She was considerably less than enthusiastic about the civil rights movement. She understood that there were, there were questions of justice, but she saw justice apparently as a matter of individuals and thought there was no need to change structures, and historical patterns. As the holder of a chair in social justice, I have to tell you, O'Connor was wrong about that. She was brilliant, insightful. She was a scathing critic of um, the human capacity for self-deception and she was racist. You know, Walker and her family lived at one point just down the road from the O'Connor place in a sheriff farmer shack that, um, that Walker found upon her return to be partly collapsed, partly used for storing hay. It's still a beautiful place, but it roused in her memories of the fear and the horror of her childhood poverty. And it was forgotten and crumbling while O'Connor's family home was maintained for visitors to tour. You know, we, we live in histories of injustice and we come in in the middle of the story and we, we know only fragments of it. We generally even, we generally tell even less than we know. So Walker goes to O'Connor's house. She says, looking for wholeness, for the telling of our stories that includes the full reality of who we really are. And that's a telling that none of us can do alone. It's a telling that will not be flattering to me and the people I grew up among. It will wreak havoc on our orderly property. It might burn down our woods. It will certainly upend our sense of ownership. Will it make room for God? You know, I, I have this idea about um, a coda that could come at the end of O'Connor's story as Mrs. Copes and um, her daughter, see, I didn't even tell you she has a daughter. You need to go read the story because there's so much, there's so much uh, else going on in it. Anyway, Mrs. Copes and her daughter come out the next morning, the woods have burned down. And as the smoke 
clears. They look up and see the sky wide open above them. What will it be like, I wonder, to live in a broken and God-inhabited world where we can try to find wholeness together? So thanks for letting me share these stories with you. You should go read more by Flannery O'Connor and Alice Walker and um, join in the work, I guess, of trying to find ways for us to be whole in the stories that we tell. Let us pray. This is a prayer to heal racial division from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. We thank you, O Lord, for in your loving wisdom, you created one human family with a diversity that enriches our communities. We pray to you, O Lord, that we always recognize each member of this human family as being made in your image and beloved by you with worth and dignity. We pray to you, O Lord, that we may envision a way forward to heal the racial divisions that deny human dignity and the bonds between all human beings. We pray to you, O Lord, that we may affirm each person's dignity through fair access for all to economic opportunity, housing, education, and employment. We pray to you, O Lord, that we may have eyes to see what is possible when we reach out, beyond fear, beyond anger, to hold the hand of our sisters, our brothers. We thank you, O Lord, for your call and challenge to us, that we may reveal your teachings and your love through our actions to end racism and to proclaim that we are all your children, heirs to your sacred creation. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sacred Stories, produced by Campus Ministry at the University of Dayton. Our theme music is by Scott Paplow, Campus Minister for Liturgical Music. We give a special shout-out to Riley Harrington and Sammy Niewoner, undergraduate assistants in the Office for Christian Leadership, Vocation, and Retreats, who support the work of this podcast. We invite you to rate and review us wherever you may be listening to this podcast so that it's easier for others to find. Additionally, please consider subscribing to our podcast so that you might receive notifications of when new episodes are released. Our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as our Campus Ministry website. We hope this and future episodes help inspire you to explore the sacred experiences and intersections with your own life journey. If there are ways we can support and accompany you in your journey of faith, please reach out to us. You can learn more about Campus Ministry on our website, udayton.edu slash ministry, our Instagram, which is at udcampusministry, and our Facebook. Check out our videos on our Campus Ministry YouTube channel and our upcoming events for undergraduate students on 1850. Peace and God bless.